Well, good morning. Welcome to Emmaus Church. My name is Nathan. Happy to see you here. Hope that you feel right at home. Raise your hand if you'd like a Bible and somebody will hand one to you. We're going to be in Acts, which is on page 850 or so. Um, so I'll put that up on the screen, but it may be helpful to have that in your, uh, right in front of you, if you like, the book of Acts in the New Testament. A couple other things as we get started. If you're on the aisle and there's a basket under your seat, could you grab that basket and pass it down? If you'd like to fill out a card in this basket, you can do that. It just hands off uh, contact information. You could pass on a prayer request if that would be helpful for you. We go through those cards on Mondays as a staff team. <clears throat> Two more things. Um, one, um, I've asked, we're doing some refreshing work on our website, so I've asked Vance Clark, who's a photographer in our community, to take some pictures. Uh, so you may have seen him around taking pictures, trying to get some good, appropriate, candid, shot, candid shots. Um, we will not post anything unless we show you the picture and ask for your permission. Uh, but a couple of people are like, who's the dude with the camera? And yes, he does work for the government, but that's not what he's doing uh, on Sundays. So that's that. And if, you just, if it's not what you want, then just let him know. That's fine. Um, but I appreciate it. He's taking some great shots. And then finally, we have a membership class scheduled for next Sunday after church. So we'll host a lunch at the, at the office, which is downtown. That's the 22nd of the month. And if you are interested in expressing, or learn, expressing commitment to the church or learning more about what membership means here at Emmaus, please plan on being at that membership class next uh, Sunday. That's an informational class. It's not a point at which you need to make a decision, but we'll answer questions and hear your story and share the story of the church. All right, good. So for the past several years, um, and especially in the last two years, uh, I have been seeking the direction of God for our church. I've been looking for a sense of clarity, for a sense of um, a plan for what we could do and become in the, in the next season. And as I shared with all of you at the annual meeting that we had in February, I had this really clear vision and a really good plan that carried us from the year before we publicly launched the church to like 2010, the end of year five for us. That's how long ago that was, right? Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So, um, so this, we had this vision and we followed this plan and the next step seemed really, really clear to us. And of course, we made mistakes and we experienced hard times, and we struggled, but we also grew, and we learned, and, we, and I thought we really loved so well, especially during those first five or six years. I felt like these were beautiful years in the story of our church, and these years have continued. This is our very first gathering. Pam was more confident about it than I was. Um, <laughs> I've loved, I've loved what we've shared together. It has been an absolute joy for me. The, the life that we've been able to share through the last 10, 11, 12 years has been just so meaningful um, to me. I have struggled, and I've struggled increasingly in recent years to see a clear way forward for us. To, to know the, the practical steps that we're supposed to take. We're a small church. We're focused on sharing life together, being intentional about community, discovering Jesus together. 
We, we want to be about holistic life transformation. We believe that happens in the context of real community. We believe it must be expressed through a lifestyle of compassion. This is what we're about, but frankly, I've had a hard time staying focused on what you do next from this vision. The realities of our culture, I think they press in hard on the ideals of a young church. And, and pretty soon you feel like you're being pushed more and more into the mold that you were trying to avoid at all costs in the early years. It's just the way the culture moves us. It's just the, some of the realities of, of, of what we have to work with. Um, I've wondered where are the models for a church like ours? Who's doing what we wanna do at age 15? Who's doing what we feel called to do at age 25? Who can we learn from? So these are some of the questions that I've been asking for a while, but yet in the meantime, we're becoming a church. And it's real, and it's happening, and this is, this is church. And we started this new Christian community in this town. Many of us were new to the area, and, and it was exciting, and people showed up. In fact, at the beginning, Everybody showed up for the setup team. Some of you showed up this morning before 8 o'clock to start setting up. In the early days, everybody showed up to set up. <laughs> everybody showed up to set up, and everybody uh, stayed to tear down. We would all show up at baptisms. Our first few baptisms were at the uh, American River Confluence, which is a 40-minute drive away. And like 80 people would show up. We would have 90 people in church, and 80 people would show up at the river. And it's easy to remember that, I think, romantically. It's easy to remember that as, um, it's easy to forget that, of course, the picture is a lot messier than that. Of course, there were challenges that we faced along the way. It feels to me now like we're, we're just busier. And, and I think that's just sort of the way life goes. I think we have more on our plates. At least it feels like I have more on my plate. It feels like many of you have just, our kids, if nothing else, our kids have just uh, grown up. And some of us have also been kind of banged up. That's the, other, that's the other thing. Some of us have been hurt. Some of us have experienced loss and pain in the last 10 years, and that changes a person. And when a person is changed, then the community is changed as well because we're all connected. And so here we are today. We're gathered to worship the eternal God, the creator of the universe, in an only moderately clean cafeteria of a local grade school. I mean, it's kind of ironic, isn't it? We pull equipment out of trailers that are now so old that we have had to replace the tires on the trailers. Um, and in his own way, that's beautiful to me. That's part of our story. We are doing good things, and we're trying really hard to stay faithful to the calling, but we're waiting. We're in a waiting season, friends. This is a season in the life of our church in which we are waiting. I remember when somebody showed me how to learn the story of a tree by reading the rings of the tree. We were in, my Uncle Al, my dad, and I, and some others were up in the forest cutting firewood, and we took a break, and we we're having lunch on this big tree stump, and somebody dusted all the pine, uh, pine needles, that's the word, off of the uh, stump. Thanks, Isaiah. And they said, hey, did you know that you can tell the story of a tree by reading the rings? And they showed me how the rings, when they're close together, you know, they were years of drought and how the rings when they're far apart these were years where there was a flourishing growth and how you could count and learn how old the tree was just by counting the rings and you could start here and go backwards and you could find the ring that was the ring from the year you were born isn't that kind of cool and then you could look for find the ring from when your little sister was born you could see the scars in the tree and you could see signs of a fire in the tree 
the rings told a story. And, and that was a story that was made up of seasons. And some of the seasons were where the tree's barely hanging on. And some of the seasons were, where, were when the tree's just flourishing and just growing. Today, friends, I want to talk about seasons. I want to talk about specifically the season of waiting. And what I want to do to set that up is to teach a little bit of biblical history. It's going to be thick. It's going to be new information to some of you. Um, but I want you to stick with me because it all points back to the significance of today. And it all points back to the, to the purpose and the meaning in waiting. Okay? So here we go with that. Today is the, is the um, is Sunday... Oh my gosh, today is Pentecost Sunday. That's what I'm trying to say. Today begins the season of Pentecost, which is the longest season in the Christian calendar. So we've had, um, we've had Epiphany, and then we had Lent, and then we had Easter, and now it's Pentecost Sunday, and now we take Pentecost season all the way around the year to Advent. It's the rest of the summer and the fall. The word Pentecost just comes from the word 50, like Penta, 50, because today is 50 days after Easter. Easter weekend was seven weeks ago this weekend, and that's significant for two reasons. It's significant from a Jewish perspective, and it's significant from a Christian perspective. Let me talk to you about the Jewish perspective a little bit. The Jewish or the Hebrew calendars oriented around feasts or celebrations or parties, things like our Christmas or our Fourth of July, where we have a dinner, we invite everybody over to celebrate something that has happened in our family or in our story. And the, so the Old Testament is just oriented around this cycle of festivals and feasts. Now, it's important to remember that the Old Testament is the story of God revealing himself to people. What is the Old Testament? It's the story of God revealing himself to people. But here's a key distinction, and this will unlock some of those stories in the Old Testament that are so confusing, so outside of what appears to be the character of God in the rest of the Bible. Understand this distinction, that through Old Testament history, the character of God is accurately revealed to people, but not completely revealed. That's the distinction. In the Old Testament, God's character is accurately revealed truthfully revealed, but not completely revealed. Only in the New Testament, in the person of Jesus Christ, is God completely or perfectly revealed. This is what the writer of Hebrews says, which is a letter in the New Testament. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. All right, so in the Old Testament, the story establishes this powerful framework of truth onto which the fuller story of truth is built in the New Testament through the life and the teachings of Jesus Christ. And the Old Testament story is told through feasts. So let me show you three Old Testament feasts, how they establish an essential truth and how the truth is completed or fulfilled in the New Testament. You with me still? All right, good. One of the feasts happening in the early spring in the Old Testament and even up today is called Passover. The Passover feast is the time of remembering when the Hebrew people who were slaves in Egypt for 400 years early in the Old Testament were freed. Under Moses' leadership, the Hebrews were told, sacrifice the lamb, spread the blood of the lamb over your door, and eat a really fast meal because tomorrow you're going to be freed from slavery. 
And then that night, the angel of death goes through Egypt, kills the firstborn of every family, unless there's blood on the door, in which case the angel of death passes over that house, the house that was covered by the blood of the lamb. So for thousands of years, this feast was celebrated by the Jewish people as the celebration of the event which led to their freedom. It also happens to be the feast that's being celebrated by Jesus and his disciples in what we know as the Last Supper. And later that night, Jesus is arrested, and then he's sacrificed. He's crucified on the cross the next morning. So Jesus' sacrifice on the cross completes the story of Passover. Old Testament, lamb is sacrificed. New Testament, Christ is the perfect sacrifice. Old Testament, they're freed from slavery. New Testament, freed from sin, right? Let me give you another example. A couple days after the Passover feast is another feast. The Jews would celebrate the Feast of First Fruits. It's a, it's a Thanksgiving kind of day where they celebrate the first harvest. And it's no coincidence that that's also the day that Jesus rose from the dead. That's the day of the resurrection, Paul writes this to the Colossian church. He says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, like the first fruits, over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is a powerful passage, by the way. And he is the head of the body. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So the story was told for centuries and centuries through the feast, through the feast of first fruits. Then that is then completed in the story of the resurrection. So the feast of first fruits in the Old Testament is the same day that Jesus resurrects from the dead. We know it is Easter morning. In the Old Testament, they're celebrating the first harvest. In the New Testament, we're celebrating the firstborn from among the dead. In other words, what used to be the period at the end of the sentence is replaced by a comma, and that's not the way the story ends anymore because now there's resurrection. In the Old Testament, there was a celebration of new provision. In the New Testament, it's a celebration of new life in Christ. And then, one more example, here's the third feast. 50 days later, 50 days after the Feast of first fruits, the Jews are partying again. They've got another big celebration. And now it's called the Feast of Weeks, which is also called Pentecost. It's the end of the wheat harvest. They still celebrate it by making these big, beautiful, braided loaves of bread. More importantly, the Jews are celebrating 50 days, 50 days after they were freed from slavery in Egypt... Moses goes up to the mountain and comes back down with the Ten Commandments. So the Jews are celebrating the arrival of the Word of God, of the Law of God, of the Ten Commandments. So think about it. For them, forever. For the Jewish people, forever. Like 400 years, they've been slaves. They've been controlled by an oppressive government. They've been told what to do. They've been valued only for what they produce. And now they're given the law of God. They're given the word of God. They're told you can be in a good and loving relationship with God. You can know the will of God. God is your master now, and he wants to set you free. So that's what the Jews are celebrating on, at Pentecost. 
And this feast may have faded from the memory of the rest of the world, other than the Jews, in the hundreds of years that followed, if it weren't for what happened on that same day, right after Jesus was killed and resurrected. Because instead, it becomes one of the foundational days of world history. Because on the same day, 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead, the Holy Spirit fills the community of Christ and the Christian church is born on Pentecost Sunday. So in the Old Testament, Pentecost is a celebration that God gives the law. In the New Testament, God gives the Spirit. And this is prophesied by Ezekiel who says, In the last days... I will take away your heart of stone. I will give you a heart of flesh so that you will be moved to do what I have called you to do. You will be given the power or the momentum or the desire to actually uh, to do the law that I gave. Now I'm going to give you the spirit so that you are empowered to do it. In the Old Testament, they're told this is the way you should live. In the New Testament, here's the power to live that way. It's just, it's totally beautiful. So today is the birthday of the church. Today's the birthday of the church, and here's how the gospel writer Luke tells the story. Let me read one more passage, and then we'll try to respond to this. This is Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, this is now in the New Testament. This is just 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, referring to the followers of Christ. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Pause. Why were God-fearing from every nation under heaven in one city. Right, for Pentecost. They're there to, for the party. They're there to remember that God gave his word through Moses, gave the Ten Commandments. So it is a major national and religious um, holiday, and they've all gathered. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Galileans refers to a place. All of Jesus' 12 disciples were called from the same little fishing village. They weren't educated people. They weren't like worldwide travelers. And so people from all over the world hear people from the same little, like, aren't all those guys from Lincoln? How did they all, how did they all, how are we hearing that uh, they are proclaiming the wonders of God in our native language. And then they, Luke lists all of the people. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pont Pontus, and Asia, and Phrygia. That's a Phrygia with that. And Pamphylia, and Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts. Cretans and Arabs. We all hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. I love how it's honest. I love how it's honest. Then Peter stood up with the 11. He raised his voice and he addressed the crowd 
And here goes Peter preaching his very first sermon, and it's powerful, and it's long, and I won't read the whole thing, but this is how it starts. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he quotes Joel, and then he quotes David the king, and then he quotes another psalm from David, and he raisins that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the fulfillment of all these feasts that we've been celebrating, looking for the one who was going to come and rescue us uh, from the oppressor, whether it be Egypt in the Old Testament or Rome in the New Testament, and then this happens. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Jesus rep- or Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. That includes us, all for whom all the Lord our God, our God will call. Amen. And so those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. It was the birthday of the church. That's when the church started. Pentecost Sunday, today, 2,000 or so years ago. So three observations Uh, from this story that I think have direct impact both on our church, our corporate collective life together, and also, I hope, on you individually, your own life. First, what were they doing? What were they doing? For 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus is appearing to his followers, to his disciples. He walks with the Emmaus Road travelers, Then he vanishes. He shows up at the upper room twice. The second time is when he invites Peter to touch his side. Once the disciples are just confused and doubting, they go fishing. Jesus shows up on the beach, makes them breakfast. It's as if for 40 days, Jesus is trying to help his disciples get their heads around the fact that yes, he died, and yes, he did rise from the dead, Physically, he's here. Now, what does this mean? Then he ascends into heaven. And then from day 40 to day 50, they're just waiting. They're waiting. Before he goes, he tells them to wait. Luke writes, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. So from day 40 post-resurrection, to day 50, they're waiting. And and here's what I love about this. This tells me that part of Jesus' plan for the church is for us to wait. Part of Jesus' plan is for us to wait. Good things happen while you wait. I hate to wait. People say, what are you doing? Uh, somebody didn't show up. I'm just, I'm doing nothing. I'm just waiting. What a waste of time, right? I don't want to waste time, so I hate waiting. But waiting has a purpose. And if it has a purpose, then it's not a waste of time. If you're longing for something, friends, if you're longing for something that has not arrived yet, uh, for a job or, or for a spouse or for reconciliation of a relationship, or for a sense of direction in your life, know this, that there is purpose in this season of waiting. There is purpose. It is not a waste of time. Things happen 
when you wait, while you actively wait, while you prepare for the good that you're looking for, while you watch the horizon and you yearn for the provision, things happen. Things that are good and things that are necessary happen while you, while you wait. Please realize this, that if you are waiting for a good thing, then you are waiting for a gift from God. James says all good things come from the Father. If you are waiting for a good thing, that means you're waiting for a gift from God. And that means you're going to get that when God's ready to give that gift and when you're ready to receive that gift. Amen? Okay, so we can just rest there. And we can know this is not a waste of time. This does not have to be a waste of time. What are they doing? They're waiting. What are we doing? We're waiting. We're in a waiting season. Second, Second observation, what are they waiting for? If waiting is what they're doing, what are they waiting for? Well, they're waiting for power. Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's the city, in Judea, that's the county, in Samaria, that's the other county where they don't like those guys, and to the ends of the earth, you'll be my witnesses Throughout all this area, Jesus says, in another place, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. In other words, they're waiting for something they needed. This was not a bonus. This was not, hey, if you'd like a little extra, hang out, because we'll distribute the leftovers. They're waiting for something that they, it was crucial, that they needed. They did not have the power to do what God told them to do. They did not have the tools to accomplish what God told them to do. They didn't have the abilities. They didn't understand things yet. They didn't have what it was going to take yet, so they needed to wait, and that's why we're told to wait. Now, it's not always the reason that we wait, but with God, because he's a good father, there's always a good reason to wait. If you're waiting on the Lord, that's a good thing, and there's a good Amen. Sometimes it has to do with timing. More often it has to do with power. You need more power. You need more ability. You need a, a deeper relationship with the, with the Spirit of God. Uh, you need the work that only pain and perseverance and longing can give you. You need to grow in this season. This is not a waste of time. We need power. We need his presence within, within us to do what he wants us to do, to receive the gift he wants to give us. What are they waiting for? What are we waiting for? Uh, it's power. And then a third observation. So first, what are they doing? They're waiting. What are they waiting for? They're waiting for power. Why do they need power? Why do they need power? Power for what exactly? I would say it's power to continue the work that Jesus started. Power to do restoration. Power to work for the restoration of all things. Friends, the story of Pentecost is the story of the church being called into being and receiving the fullness of the Spirit of God in order to restore all things. The church is God's chosen instrument of restoration. His mission is to use the church as his primary tool to accomplish his mission of restoration. Restoring relationships between God and people, that's our mission. Restoring families, that's part of our mission. Restoring homes, that's part of our mission. Restoring the poor, restoring those who are hopeless, restoring the sick, 
restoring the brokenhearted, bringing justice where there is no justice, and bringing hope where there is no hope. Pentecost is the story. Write this down. Pentecost is the story of believers in the resurrected Jesus Christ, like us, waiting for power to restore all things. Amen? And then, when God's ready, and when they're ready, receiving the power to do that. Amen? What about us? What about us? That's us. Now what about you? What about, what about you individually? What about me? Uh, maybe you're in a season of waiting. You need to actively wait. You need to faithfully wait on the Lord. Are you waiting well is the question. Or are you just trying to keep yourself occupied and distracted? Um, I don't wait well. I pull my phone out and I stay occupied. Now you would say, well, you're taking advantage of the dead time. And, and sometimes that I am. But sometimes I just, need to, I just need to wait. Are you waiting well? Are you scanning the horizon looking for the, for the provision of God? Are you leaning into your longing? Are you surrendering your plans over and over? Are you readying yourself to receive the good thing that God has you waiting right now for? Prepare for the good gift that God has for you. That's what your job is right now. If you're in a waiting season, prepare for the good. Prepare for the good gift that God has for you. Second question, what is it you need power for? Is it power to be courageous? Is it power to be bold? Is it power to heal? Is it the ability to love somebody that's hard to love? Maybe you don't know what you need power for, and that's okay, but maybe you do know what you need power for. In other words, you know you're called to this. You don't have what it takes for that, so that's what you need power for. Realize then that the purpose of this waiting time is to receive that thing that you need power for. Receive the power to do that thing. In other words, you're not doing nothing right now. And this is not a waste of time right now. There is a purpose in this season of waiting. And so prepare for the good. And then finally, where, where do you need restoration? Pentecost is the story of the church waiting for the power to restore all things. What needs to be restored in your life? What are the things that need to be restored in your life? Is it your marriage? Is it your family? Is it the culture of your house, your home? Is it a sense of loss, maybe, or guilt from the past? What in your life has been broken by sin, therefore you need the resurrected Jesus to build it back, to restore it to its intended purpose again? Maybe it's your ability to hope. Maybe it's your capacity to trust God. It could be something really practical and specific. It could be something really big, like my ability to be in relationship with somebody else. We've changed up the order a bit this morning because I want to create some time and space just for us to simply wait and I want to encourage you to actively wait together on the Lord and to invite the power of the Holy Spirit into your life. And some of us are from traditions where there's, there's actually literally a place set apart to wait upon the Lord. Um, we've called it an altar. 
right? Altars are tables. Altars have been extended out into long areas where people can kneel and wait. Sometimes when I'm praying in my car, which is a place I often pray, it's easy for me to get distracted. If I'm, if I'm really in a need for clarity, I will go to a specific place. And the reason I've gone to this place is because I am waiting on the Lord. And so I just want to just gently remind or invite you um, to consider maybe even coming forward and kneeling at these altars that we've built up here this morning. And we're just going to take three or four minutes, and Josh is going to sing a song. And I just want to invite you, if, if, if it would help you to wait on the Lord, maybe you pray in your seat, maybe you walk around, maybe you come forward and you, and you pray at the altar. Why would I do that? Because you know that you need restoration of something. Because you know that you need power that's beyond uh, what you yourself have. Um, because you want to faithfully engage in this season of waiting, not because something is wrong, but because you've been waiting for such a long time and it's getting hard to stay focused and, and you want to just be open to what the Lord has for you. You want to receive the fullness of this time, of this waiting season. So I'm going to stop talking and uh, ask Josh to play some music and invite us into just a season of prayer. Let's pray at the altar together. Let's pray as a church together for the church, for ourselves. Pray for one another. Let's, let's take a minute to pray. You're welcome to come forward if you like.